Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 265. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are coming to you live this week from Everglazed at Disney Springs with our much-anticipated 2023 Year in Review show. Yes, we are not at Dockside Margaritas, contrary to popular belief. There's going to be a couple of people that are shocked and disappointed to find that out. But due to our work schedules, we had to come here during the day and we figured why not have a little breakfast, little coffee, and then do our year in review. Yeah, enjoy some seasonal delights here, some something different for us. It's a beautiful, cool morning, December morning here in Central Florida, but we have an awful lot to talk about. I think that when we sat down, I didn't think that there was this much to talk about, but as we sit here and look over the list, this was a sneaky, busy year for Disney. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because I went back and I listened to our 2022 year in review, partly because I was just excited to do this episode. I always look forward to our year in review. I love a recap. I love reflecting on what we watched, um, not just as far as the new releases go, but also some of the hidden gems that we find. So I was going back to listen to it because I wanted to refresh myself on the format and how we did it because last year was the first time we did take the show on the road being that we were newly local last year Um, and I was listening to it and we were so hyped because there were so many movies that we got to watch that went straight to the streamer and I'm listening back and I'm going oh no little girl you're being (laughs) so naive you are actively discussing the breakdown of this industry and ever since then I was slightly less jazzed to do this episode because now we're seeing the fallout from so many things going to the streamers. Yeah, well, it was different when we thought that we were just getting what we were promised, which was going to be uh, new and unique content on Disney Plus on the regular, something to look forward to as subscribers. That's what we thought but obviously the way of the industries changed since then. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxCo.com to check out all of the collections. So, for those who have not joined us previously on a Year in Review show, we're going to go month by month, and we're going to break down what we saw. Because as much as we'd love to see everything, it's, it's just unfortunately not possible for us to see every single thing that Disney puts out. Yes, we don't do this full-time, and with doing an episode every week, by the time we watch the film, take our notes on it, and do the recording, it makes it very difficult to keep up with all the new releases, but we sure do try. Yeah. All right, so starting in February, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Which we did see in theaters. Yes. This is a very polarizing movie. Yes. And I believe, now we only saw it the one time, and... If I remember correctly, my review of it at the time was, I really enjoyed it, 
but I can understand why people didn't care for it. Well, you saw it the one time. I actually saw it twice because I had seen it in theaters, and then I caught it again on a flight from Orlando back to JFK. So if anybody wants the perfectly timed film from takeoff to landing, you can watch Quantumania on JetBlue, and it will time out to the letter. Um, but even on that second viewing, my feelings didn't really change that much. My big takeaway from it was that I really liked it as a setup for the Kang Dynasty and where that Once Upon a Time was building, but I thought it sort of, uh, it sort of did a disservice to the Ant-Man trilogy um, because I feel like it lost that humor that Paul Rudd is known for. Um, and I get you're going to lose a little bit of that because a lot of the character, part, part of it was that you have to have your character grow, right? And he's no longer navigating being an ex-con and protecting his younger daughter. With the blip, she's now older, she's a teenager, she's thinking and acting for herself. So I think that was a really great way to push them together as, or, or push them forward as far as the father-daughter story goes because they're growing together. He's got to learn how to parent when he hasn't been parenting her the whole time. Right. Um, so I thought that that was a really good dynamic, but I feel like you totally lost his humor throughout. Um, but with that being said, I do really like the character that Cassie is growing into. Um, you know, she's very caring, which um, they do lean into once she gets to the quantum realm. I love the portrayal by Catherine Newton. I think, you know, it was a really good step forward for Cassie. But um, I just, it, it felt very far removed from the original Ant-Man. And part of that, too, is that you lost all of his sidekicks. Right. You know, the ones that were helping him get back on his feet after he was in jail. And I think that that also would have been a really interesting dynamic to have them trying to help from the outside pull everybody back out of the quantum realm. Um, but besides that, I really did like the story for the Pim Van Dyne family. I like that we got to see... Um, Hank and Janet do a lot more. I love that Janet had this whole life that we had no idea about. And I really, really liked this one for Hope. Um, yeah. So I don't want to say too much more, even though I've already given away a lot, because we are going to review 2023's new releases. We're going to spend the month of January doing the real deep dives into them, and we're going in chronological order. So Ant-Man will be the first one that we discuss. Yeah, and Bill Murray. Oh, Bill, how could I Bill forget? Murray Shame on me. In, in the MCU. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing is that they had built so much towards Kang and like, oh, the movie, Jonathan Majors, man, what a waste of talent, unfortunately. Like, he was, you know, so good in it and like, he's a trash bag of a human being, obviously, for what he's done and it's such a waste of talent, but like, I was so excited coming out of that for Kang. And I think that that's, that's where it, it's going to be sour grapes. A lot of people are saying it's so detrimental to Loki, but this was my first thought of how detrimental it was for Ant-Man. I mean, not that they're going to continue. Well, we don't know that. They could at this point. But to me, I feel like it impacted this movie more, especially that end credit scene where 
Kang rallies all of his variants together and yeah. they are getting ready to take over and the performance is so good how he's like hyping himself up and you know like cattle calling and yeah. he's like pounding his chest and he is like ready to go and um hopefully they recast because I feel like could they rewrite it they have a very easy out with the multiverse sure but I hope they don't because this was supposed to be our next big bad. This was the next phase. This was supposed to rival Thanos as far as a villain. So I hope that that wasn't all for nothing. Going into March, we had Mandalorian Season 3. Um, I love The Mandalorian. I, I had fun with this season. It Was it the best season of The Mandalorian? No. I still think the second season was probably the best one, but... I mean, just give me Mando, you know, give me Mando and Grogu on screen. I'm excited. I, I love the characters, all of them. I love the world building. I love the stories that we're telling. Um, this is one of the few things that they're doing with Star Wars that doesn't feel like you're doing too much. Um, it doesn't seem like too much of a good thing. And I'm really looking forward to the continuation of this, of this epic journey. And I've said it before, and I, I will say it again. I think when all is said and done, you're going to look at The Mandalorian, and you're probably going to say, that's the greatest show in the history of television. I completely agree. And I mean, I may be biased, because if you've listened to us for a while, you know that we are JFAB's biggest fans. He can do no wrong in my book. Um, but I, I love where he's taken this and what's really interesting to me is when you look back at the first season I mean not only did they take a background character from the universe and really develop him and flesh him out and make him really really interesting you've got this really great story of the bounty hunter that has a good heart and it sort of turns into the story of him learning to parent and Yes, that continues to happen, but what I am most impressed by every single season is that it's an evolution, and they keep building on it, and that crux of the story is still there, that he's going to protect Grogu at all costs, but it's not just him against the world anymore. Now, by the end of season three, we've got this whole community, and, you know, everyone says it takes a village to parent. Now we're seeing that village come together um, to protect Grogu. Um, I also really love how Bo-Katan Kreese, uh evolved over this season. You know, we got a glimpse of her in season two, and I love how they fleshed out this character over the course of season three. And, I mean, how cool is it that she was a voiceover actor or a voice actress in the Clone Wars? And yeah. much like Paul Bettany in Marvel, he started out as Jarvis and had this arguably one of the most endearing characters that came out of it and I feel like that's what's happening now is that you had a fan favorite that is really growing um, and and part of I think uh, the retaining power is also coming from her yeah we also had prom pact come out in March now admittedly we didn't see it in March when it dropped for those who listened to us earlier this year, you know that we reviewed the zombie series for Halloween, fell in love with Milo Mannheim, and had to go and check this one out. Um, this 
without spoiling too much, was probably my surprise of the year. I can't believe how much I enjoyed this movie, how well written it was, how endearing most of the characters were. I feel like they nailed the awkwardness of high school without it being... Listen, I love American Pie. American Pie is brilliant for what it is. But there are certain tropes in American Pie that get, you know, they get pulled from Animal House and Revenge of the Nerds and all of that. This did it a little differently. And I'm, I'm a child of the 80s, so I'm a sucker for the soundtrack. But they went big budget. I mean, they had Billie Eilish. That They paid Billie Eilish to get, I guess, her rights. Shay had Billie Eilish uh, songs in this, which usually when it's a decom, it's all original or it's a straight musical. To go and pay to get music from one of the top recording artists out there right now, and not somebody that's under, like, a Disney contract, mind you, um, they put money into this and it showed. Not to mention all of the 80s music that is sprinkled throughout, too. Yeah. I mean, the premise was brilliant that the theme of this prom is going to be the 80s. So you get to do all of these really fun flashbacks to movies that, I mean, you and I have grown up on, and they're paying homage to those films, but it's done in a very tongue-in-cheek way where they're turning them into prom proposals. And I thought that that was so much fun and it a was. brilliant way to toe the line between current and, and giving something that kids now are going to relate to while also being a family movie because the parents are going to go, oh my God, I recognize Breakfast Club and I love that movie. Or I recognize uh, Risky Business or, or whatever it is. And I think that's also part of the producers because... Um, Wendy McClendon Covey is in this, who we love from the Goldbergs, and that's all Goldbergs was. Yeah. was. It was the 80s. Yeah. So this was the perfect outfit for her. And then I noticed Julie Bowen's name in the credits as an executive producer, um, and love that for her. Yeah. I think this is so great. Um, yeah, this was definitely a fun surprise. Um, I know everybody has High School Musical up on a pedestal. And it's lost on me. I, you know, we've reviewed it on the show before. I've tried so hard. I just can't get into it. Because even if I can put everything aside and just take it for what it is and embrace the fun and cheesiness of it, I still can't get into it. To me, this was a high school movie. And it felt very realistic to the high school experience. Uh, I also love how they handled the dynamic of... Um, platonic friends of the opposite sex and what happens when one of them does start dating because usually when you see movies of this ilk it's two friends of the same sex or like if you look at something like Boy Meets World for example what was Sean's big arc every time aside from his family issues it was Corey's gonna leave me for Topanga one day so you've seen it with the two guys where they're bros and the girl gets between them although Topanga didn't necessarily do that but Or, you know, you see it with two girls and one gets a boyfriend and maybe she's going a little too far too fast and the other friend is is looking down on her. Right. We've seen it all done before. This was a great way to reshuffle the deck and really change up the genre and make it so relatable. I really loved it. April saw the release of Peter Pan and Wendy, even though we wish it hadn't. Um... (laughs) And you can go listen to our full review on episode number 235. 
Let's move on to May. You don't even nope. want to... <laughs> no. Nope. You're not going to poke that bear nope. at all. No, I'm not. Well, one thing I do want to tell you about it that I did learn, and this is not me playing devil's advocate because it's not going to change our opinion at all whatsoever, but one thing I have learned since our review, um, and it sort of gives levity to everything that we said, how Peter sort of lost his boyish impish charm, part of that comes from Tinkerbell was never on set. The actress who's grown up with Disney, she was on Blackish, she was on Grownish. They did a disservice to her. I liked her, actually. I did, too. I thought she was pretty good. I didn't like that she didn't emote as much as I thought she was going to. Um, like, she was good, but I would have preferred, like, a little bit more, like, over-the-top gestures. But part of that was because she wasn't on set with the rest of them. She didn't meet them until the London premiere. <laughs> So you're not bouncing off. This is like post-pandemic production at its finest. You had her by herself. And to her credit, where it's good is because she was by herself and she had to use her imagination. But where it did a disservice to her was that you're not letting her in the room with people. And when you look at something like Favreau's The Jungle Book where they did the black box stage and they all got to do their performances theatrically... That was a budget cut, making her do it all by herself. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for the tidbit. You can go listen to the episode. Um, <laughs> May saw one of the best films of the year get released. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Really two of the best films of the year. But, True. I mean, we're completely biased on Guardians. We love it. Uh, if you been with us for a while, uh, you will know that we went as Mary Poppins, y'all, to our first Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween, where Sean was Yondu, and God love him, painted his face blue. Never gonna happen again. <laughs> and I had a much easier job of just dressing up as Mary Poppins, but um, we love the Guardians, and I can't overstate enough how well James Gunn just stuck this landing on the trilogy. I yeah. absolutely loved it. It is... Probably the best, most complete trilogy in the MCU. It's bet it's between that and Captain America, frankly. Um, with the Edge probably going to Guardians because the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special was better than the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So if you're looking for a tiebreaker, I'm going to go to my Disney Plus originals and that's going to be my tiebreaker. Um, a fitting end, sad end, you know, that... that they're gone, and I think that we're going to find out in the MCU very quickly how much we're going to miss James Gunn, and I think once you see in the next couple of years, I'm thinking 2025, 2026, it's a guess, I think you're going to see a change in DC that is going to be a stark contrast yes. to what we have seen out of DC in recent history and it's only going to vindicate James Gunn even further. I couldn't agree with you more. Although I am going to disagree that it was a sad ending. Um, well sad in that we're not going to see them again. Exactly. I say. It's bittersweet because I think the ending was so perfect in that everybody ended up where they are supposed to. Um, like it wasn't just a good movie overall but he really did right by these characters, and that's what I mean by he stuck the landing is, you know, 
you feel like it was just such a natural fit where they're all going from this point. Um, and what the true mark of this is that makes it a great movie is that it left us wanting more, even though we're not getting it. And, and that's then just leave it there. Let's not overdo this one. Let's just leave it the way it is because it's perfect. This is one I cannot wait to do our full review on. Muppets Mayhem was another May release. Um, it won an Emmy, but it's the Muppets. So Disney canceled it because Disney does not know what to do with the Muppets. It's become the ongoing joke, but I had said months ago... When, when this show dropped, I said, it's great. They're going to screw it up. They're going to cancel it. I said months ago Disney was going to cancel this. I don't know why they can't get the Muppets right. I thought that this was such a fun story. I love Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. I love the cameos that they got. The, like Everything about this was just completely brilliant, and it reeked of cancellation. I don't know why they can't get the Muppets right other than Jason Siegel's Muppets. They canceled the TV show on ABC right as it was hitting its stride. They canceled Muppets. Now, I just don't know what it is about the Muppets. We all want it. We're begging for it. But you give it to us, you get it right, and you take it away again. It's it's an anomaly to the likes of which I can't explain. No, that's exactly what I was going to say, is that's the real irony here, right? Is that everybody's so sick of sequels and remakes, except for this IP. We are pounding the table for this IP, and they won't give it to us. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you called it, like, halfway through season one. You were like, this is great, they're going to cancel it. I think it was the perfect revival for the modern-day Muppets. I loved the tongue-in-cheek mockumentary, spinal tap, uh, you know, peel back the curtain on reality TV way that they went about this. I thought it was brilliant. Um, Speaking of, we just mentioned the Goldbergs. This was Adam F. Goldberg, which is the real shame of it because we loved that series. It had so much success running 10 years on ABC, which is unheard of nowadays. 10 seasons? Are you kidding? And I really thought that this was going to be his next banger hit. And there's no reason, well, there is a reason, is that Disney Plus is oversaturated and you can't possibly keep up with watching everything. And it probably just didn't have the numbers to compete with the Marvel and Star Wars content, which is unfortunate because it was just so good. And you could tell they were absolutely leaving the door open for season two. Um, So in a way... I wish that they had just set out to do a 10-part series and just make it come full circle, bring it together start to finish, and leave it at that. And then if by happenstance you get a season two, all the better for it. But it could have felt more complete had they just decided to do it as a one-off and then given us more. The problem with with television in totality is this. Adam F. Goldberg... It was another banger for him, and he got the Emmy that he so deserved. His first series almost got canceled and ran for 10 seasons. If that show had come out this year, it would have been canceled. The fact that it was renewed 10 years ago, people were sweating that one out. The fact of the matter is, 
if these shows don't produce immediately, they get canceled. If Cheers, Cheers is one of the most revered television shows in history. It didn't even crack its top 50 its first year, but the network believed in it enough to give it another season and let it grow. It doesn't matter whether networks believe in shows or not anymore. If they are not at the top of the food chain off the rip, they get canceled. And the thing is, there's not three or four networks anymore. There's That's cable. also part of the problem. There's yeah. streaming. Yeah. There's an oversaturation. So it's almost impossible for things to find their audience at this point when you pull the rug out from underneath them so quickly. Yeah, you're not giving any of these shows a chance to find their legs. Um, but speaking of finding legs, you and I have spent enough time talking about everything that is wrong with the industry this year. And I'm sure we're going to do more of that next year. But I want to talk about something that Disney got insanely right. And that is The Little Mermaid, which also came out in May. Um, and oh my God, to say that I was blown away was an understatement. I absolutely loved this. Um, I loved the change of setting and how this, that was woven into the story so beautifully. I loved, loved, loved the cast. Um, I love the added songs. Yes, even Scuttlebutt, it works. For what it is, it works. Um, I thought Halle Bailey was just so enchanting. And um, actually, I ended up seeing it twice in the theaters. I saw it once with you, and then I was home in New York with my family. And my mom was like, oh, I was going to ask if you wanted to see it, because um, that was the first movie I took you to see. And I was like, I didn't think you would want to see it. So my family, we've not been to the movies as a family in ages. We, we rounded the four of us up and we went. Um, and I'll be damned if I wasn't bawling when I saw it the second time. I just loved it so much. It was their best film this year. Um, it was extraordinarily well done. It's one of those instances where you take a live action remake and you get it right. Um, it's infuriating when you see things like Peter Pan and Wendy and Pinocchio. Holy Smokio. Yeah. Uh, put up against something like this. Um, I thought that the cast was incredible. I thought the music was great. I thought that they stuck to the source material very well, where they made adjustments. I think it made sense. Um, and Halle Bailey, she was, she was just unreal. I, I really, really loved her in that role. Uh, let's move on to June. Elemental. So, Elemental, it, I'm glad that it got its second life. It did well overseas. And it did well once it did get to the streaming service. So, Elemental has the audience that it always should have had. But initially, it was a bit of a disappointing run. Um, I'm glad that it got there. Elemental, it, you know, it's... When I say it's middle of the road, when you think about the caliber of film that Pixar has put out, middle of the road is better than some of the best films from most studios. Um, I thought that the world building was great. I thought the characters were wonderful. I thought the whole thing was beautifully animated, and I really enjoyed it quite a bit. For me, um, I definitely liked it, but this wasn't at the top of my Pixar list. Like, to me, this didn't fire on all cylinders in a way 
that like The Incredibles or Inside Out does where you've got these really great characters, an amazing story, an amazing journey that they're going to go on, and a great message woven throughout. There's a really great message through here, but unfortunately, the characters fell a little flat for me. And, you know, I was like, obviously, you know, the romance aspect sort of makes you think Romeo and Juliet because they are coming from these different worlds. Um, but they didn't lean into that enough. Like, the stakes were high, but the whole time I was just kind of sitting there going, they're going to end up together, and it's all going to be fine. There wasn't really anything that was necessarily pulling them apart. Um, And I think that that was just because Wade just sort of kept showing up in Ember's life. There was no... There wasn't a lot of growth for Wade. Um, but my issues are more with the characters than it than they are with the story. Um, and I do really want to watch it again because the animation is stunning. What it lacks with the characters, it makes up for tenfold in some of the most gorgeous animation they have ever done. The world building, the way that they handled all of these elements to make the clouds look weightless to make the dirt crumble, to make Wade look so fluid, to make Ember burn. Like, it was all absolutely incredible. And we got Catherine O'Hara. So there's all the uh, ingredients for a great movie here. And maybe upon second watch, I'll realize that they cooked it perfectly. Um, Secret Invasion. Marvel's Secret Invasion. This, to me was the definition of too much of a good thing. And I hate to say that because I love Nick Fury, I love Samuel L. Jackson, and I thought he was really good in this. I was very excited when I heard that we were going to get a Nick Fury series. Same. Um, But I'm not going to lie, this series bored me to tears. Um, If you like Captain Marvel, there's a really strong tie-in Um, and you'll love it, but if you're just, like, the casual Marvel fan, I think you're going to find it boring. That's all I can say about it. My issues with this were similar to my issues with Loki Season 1, that I loved Loki as a plot point for Thor, um, and I think that that's what was happening here. Nick Fury works as... Uh, you know, sort of a roadblock for Tony Stark sometimes because he doesn't want to play by the rules. So he's better at causing conflict than he is carrying out his own story. And I hate saying that because similar to you, I love Samuel L. Jackson. There's no reason that I shouldn't have been completely engaged that he got a full backstory that they gave him a family that he had to protect. When they did that with Hawkeye and Clint's character, I absolutely loved it. But they didn't do it over a six-part series. They did it in Age of Ultron. Eventually, it got a six-part series, but that wasn't... The focus was not about his family. And I feel like where Nick Fury was straddling the line here, it felt like it was dragging on and on and on. Uh, Where I did really have fun with it, though, because you were loving making fun of me for playing the game of who's a scroll, who's not a scroll. Um, I had to buy so much tinfoil for your head. (laughs) 
No, it was really fun because the marketing was brilliant. This is the best marketing since She-Hulk. And I didn't think it could get any better than giving us a hotline to call, but this in fact did because they had the scrolls positioned at the Guardians of the Galaxy premiere. They had them hiding in plain sight on us at the same time. So I love that they really leaned into that. And what I really love too is, spoiler alert, that the characters who were scrolls the scrolls were more of like an avatar. It wasn't that they had compl- that they had been there the whole time, because when it was revealed who who was one, I was like, oh my god, was this the whole time? Was this happening in Wakanda? Are you kidding me? I, and I was like, Tony Stank, are you kidding me? Um, so I'm glad that they didn't have the wool over our eyes that much. Um, and I would be remiss for saying. Um, you know, not that I liked this about this series. Um, I was hoping that we were going to get more Maria Hill, but we see that she will no longer be foeing, uh, moving forward with the Marvel Universe because they took her out in this season. And she goes out in a blaze of glory, but I'm bummed about it because we love us some Kobe Smulders. Poor Aunt Robin. Um, also in the month of June was Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, I really had a hell of a lot of fun with this movie. I thought that Harrison Ford still did a really great job. Um, This felt like an Indiana Jones movie. I think that what killed this movie was the last movie um, that they did, which was a, a long time ago. But I think that Crystal Skull left a sour taste in the mouth of a lot of people. And I think that this was also people talking with their wallets in regards to give us something new. Listen, I I really enjoyed this movie, but I can understand why people looked at it and said, Harrison Ford's 80 years old. He's doing another Indiana Jones movie. I think in the court of public opinion, it felt like a cash grab. It looked like a cash grab. It wasn't. But it felt that way and that's how people took it which is a shame because I thought it was such a fun movie I don't think it was cash grabby necessarily to me um, if anything I would say it was more like feeding ego of like I've still got this Um, but to his credit he still does he still absolutely does I didn't feel like oh maybe you should have sat this one out no I thought he was wonderful I really like the story I completely agree with you it felt like an indie movie um, and I liked Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Um, so I thought that that was cool. And, you know, it was a smart hook to bring in a new generation. Um, but, yeah, I liked this one. Um, I really loved what they did in Hollywood Studios where they yeah. uh, added the pop-up bar and they had some of the costumes and some of the props. So th- those were not only was it cool to see, but, like, just a really intelligent use of that space to start selling alcohol from it. Well, and this is the thing, right? They still have the bar, and they obviously have the stunt show. There's there's still a demand for Indiana Jones. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know that there's been word that as soon as Harrison Ford hangs it up, which apparently he has done after this film, there will be no more Indiana Jones. But I feel, I've, I've said it before, I think I've said it on this show, I think you could take Indiana Jones. I do think as great as Harrison Ford is, if you could recast Sean Connery as James Bond, you could recast for Indiana Jones. That's also different because James Bond has never stopped, whereas Indiana Jones did. 
But if you were going to go and continue the story of Indiana Jones, much like a James Bond, I really think Bradley Cooper would be great in the role. And I, oh. I would love to see him take a crack at it. Um, I mean, I go back and I agree with you. I think Bradley Cooper would be unbelievable casting. I think he'd be great. But out of respect to Harrison Ford, I think we should just kind of let it go with him. Um, you know, as far as James Bond goes, it might be that Sean Connery didn't want to do it anymore and they decided they were going to continue with the franchise. That was his decision not to stick with it. Um, but here, I feel like it sort of would be a disservice to Harrison Ford. Like, this is this is his, you know. Are they testing fireworks over there or something? I think they're testing something. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. But, well, anyway... Uh, it's it's the holidays. They could be the stage show. I don't know. I don't even know anymore. Um, let me tell you something that certainly didn't light up my sky. Um, and that was the uh, July release. Um, and it was so frustrating. Yeah. Um, because all we wanted was a redo of 2003, right? A redo of Haunted Mansion. And they announce the cast, and you think, great, we're going to get it right. And then you see the first trailer, and you go, oh, all right, maybe not a great trailer. And then you saw the next one, and you went, okay, it's a little bit better. And then the movie came out. Um, I mean, look, we're going to give it another shot. And sometimes... We'll watch a movie the first time and really dislike it. And on the second viewing, we fall in love with it. See Mars Needs Moms. Yeah. See, for me, don't look under the bed. You can't say the same. But sometimes a second viewing with a fresh set of eyes, you see things you didn't get the first time around. Or a more I, focused set of eyes. I, I certainly hope that's what happens with our next viewing of Haunted Mansion. However... I, I I don't like the fact that they could come and go from the mansion as they pleased. I thought that that kind of made no sense. Um, and there's a, a lot of jokes that fell flat. And there's one joke that was so uh, nauseatingly bad. Entirely tasteless. So tasteless that I remember audible gasps in the movie theater. Yeah. And we saw it, its premiere night, audible gasps. Not only audible gasps, but there weren't a lot of people in the theater. We were all looking around at each other to be like, did they really just... And nobody could get a read on each other. Like, nobody was laughing. It wasn't like a, is it okay to laugh kind of thing. It was like a, everybody was equally shocked. I hope it's better the second time around because... The movie I was looking forward to the most this year on this slate was Haunted Mansion. As it stands right now, the movie that left me the most disappointed was also Haunted Mansion. I'm going to disagree with you on the leaving the mansion thing because what I did like about that was that they were able to embrace the setting a little bit, but... So far as I'm concerned, they didn't lean into New Orleans enough. I mean, 
that city is so in tune with celebrating the dead and celebrating life. Um, and you didn't get nearly enough of it. Instead, what they did do was lean into this theme of processing grief, which I thought was really great. But again, you dipped your toes in the water. You didn't do it enough. As far as Rosario Dawson's character and her son, yes. Um, but I feel like it would have been a lot more interesting if every single character had experienced a loss, and that's why they're all stuck in there together and they can't really get out until they've processed it, until they've confronted it, until they deal with it. Um, so I feel like it was a good start, but I wish that they had leaned into it a lot more. Um, the other thing that I thought was just a big miss is that, you know, we get so many incredible characters on the ride. Like, I thought we were going to get backstories for the stretching portraits. I thought we were going to get a whodunit element of the... Um, sorry, Disneyland friends, because you don't have this, but in our queue here in Walt Disney World, they have the bus, and it tells the story of the murder, and it is a riddle that you can solve while you're online. I thought we were going to get more of those characters, and what disappointed me the most was that I thought we were going to get the backstory of Constance Hatchaway. So the only way that it's forgivable for me is if she gets her own movie and we do get to see her in life. You know, I was picturing this debutante that is going to be married off and she comes with this huge dowry and these men are only after her for her money and that's why she's killing them. To me, that's an interesting story and I thought we were going to get it and instead we got a bad CGI Constance. But I will say... That was the only moment of bad CGI was that hallway. Everything else looked pretty good, although I would have much preferred to see the practical effects. Um, everything looked really good, especially Hatbox Ghost. I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah, I just think that when you have a rich history and characters that people love and an IP that is yours, to the original version's credit, the Eddie Murphy version, um, they started off with a bang, and we see Master Gracie, and you see the hanging corpse, you know, like, and they gave the hanging corpse a backstory. It was like, oh, wow, we didn't really get that here, and I wish that we had, but we didn't. I can see why they didn't make it Master Gracie-centric, because then it would have felt like a retread, but I just didn't see enough of everybody else that we do know get fleshed out, pun not intended. All right, let's move on to October. Uh, Once Upon a Studio, that was the short film that they released to celebrate Disney 100. We did do a full-on review, episode number 257. You can go back and listen to that. I'll make sure that I link these in the show notes as well. Um, the, quickly, loved it. Incredible. Um, wish that we would have had some more deep dives, but all in all, really, really enjoyed it. What was super impressive was that they got as many as they could, as long as they were still living, they got all of the voice actors back to do their characters. Uh, I loved the pairings that they chose when they're all, you know, going outside for the picture. I love who they put together. Um, what a seamless blend of all animation styles. They made it, it's amazing, you know, you make this work and then, you know, yeah. some of the things that are coming out, you know, with, with CGI don't look nearly as good and yet you figured out how to blend 2D and 3D incredible um, but yeah I, it was a great short it didn't feel like a 
you know, that they were just trying to pat themselves on the back. It really felt like it was a celebration. Um, it was a love letter to not just the fans because they got to see so many of their favorite characters, but it really was a love letter to the company. I thought it was just really, really well done. October also saw the release of Loki Season 2. Now, a lot of you know that despite multiple viewings and multiple tries, we could not get into Loki Season 1 as much as we love Loki. And Tom Hiddleston. Loki Season 2? Totally different story. Absolutely loved Loki Season 2. I loved everything that they that they did with it. I loved the continuation of the story that they started to tell in the first season. I always did like the cast and like the characters, but I thought that the first season was a little all over the place and convoluted. No, this was everything I wanted it to be and more. Yeah, I was like, oh, here we are. This felt like a return to the roots of the character. This is the Loki that we know. Um, and this is what the first season should have really been, where he's trying to figure out who he is on his own, without his family, without being under his brother's thumb, and without having to sort of be the anti-hero. I feel like those themes should have all been explored in the first season, because you didn't, not only did you not have that cockiness of Loki always being one step ahead, you didn't have that mischievousness about him either. Um, but I just didn't see the inner workings of this character and what makes him tick in season one. Now, I totally get it. And I love how you not only explored that more, but you used it in conjunction with um, deepening this relationship with Mobius. Yeah. Uh, let's go into November. The Santa Claus is season two. Yeah. Yeah, you and I are on different sides of this fence. Um, I liked the first season of The Santa Clauses, not without its flaws. It certainly had some flaws. Um, but I really did enjoy the second season. Um, I, I think that it took about three episodes to get us there because it did start a little slow. But I love Eric Stone Street. And, I mean, just getting Tim Allen back in that role over and over again. I mean, yes, please. I'm In spite of the fact that the sequels to the film are not terribly good, I have been enjoying the two seasons of the television show. I mean, I do love Tim Allen in this role. I'm not disappointed that we're getting more of it, uh, even though the makeup does not look as good it's worse. as it originally... No, and what's funny is, you know, in the first one they had to age him up. Now you don't have to age him that much, so why does it look bad? It looks like when the toy comes to life in the Santa Claus movie and he's got that plastic sheen on him. That's what the makeup looks like sometimes. But that aside, that is not my issue with this series. My issue is that there is no semblance of the original at all. Um, you know, the, the, the whole thing, part of what makes that such a great story is that Charlie still believes and Charlie is so into the idea of my dad could be Santa Claus and Charlie is the driving force in that movie encouraging him to do it and you know of course you sort of get that 90s trope of the divorced dad who wants to please his son because he's ruined Christmas dinner at this point uh, you know and he can't really bounce back from it so he's like alright I'll go along with this and then he totally embraces Santa Claus but the 
best conflict of that movie is he's trying to balance his normal life and keeping the secret yeah. with stepping into this new role. And you've lost that entirely. And I, I get it, you don't want an entire retread. But I feel like it would have been so much more interesting to keep the family on Earth, try to give the kids a normal high school experience. They found out the secret, and now they're telling all their friends, they're telling social media, and he's still got to keep the secret. And balancing, you know... I have to get back to the North Pole, but my kid's breaking up with his girlfriend. I need to be a dad right now. I feel like that would, especially since you bothered to give him a second family with his second wife, Yeah. I feel like that could have been explored so much more. And you would have had just as much conflict with him trying to pass the torch on to his son, who's completely inept at it. Um, you know, they had that whole storyline with Cal just not getting to be Santa Claus and I think that could have also been a really interesting conflict with Charlie because Charlie wanted in fact yeah. his last line in that film is I think I'm going to go into the family business because Neil whose head comes to a point wanted him to be a psychiatrist Right. but Charlie tells him I want to go into the family business well what happened to that you got the actor back why not completely unpack that and why not have it cause conflict with his new siblings so I just feel like there were a bunch of swings and misses, but what I did like about this season, I would watch a whole spin-off series on the Eric Stone Street character. That was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Wish. Um, Wish, as of now, is unfortunately a well-documented box office bomb, but it doesn't deserve to be. I thought Wish was really, really good. I loved the characters. I loved the music. I loved the story. I loved the Easter eggs. I wish that they would have left some of them as Easter eggs. Because by the end of the movie, it's like, oh, by the way, if you didn't know, here's what we did, guys. I, I wish that they would have just left it so that Disney fans, true Disney fans, would have picked up on it on their own. Um, and but we would have. And we would have. I, I loved Asha. Like, the animation style, I thought, was was brilliant. I hope that this gets the elemental treatment once it gets to the streamer. I hope it gets the second life and it gets the credit that it deserves because it was really a very good movie. I agree with you. Um, I... I loved Asha. What I love even more is how much Ariana DeBose loves her and how much she embraces this character. Um, I loved the animation, and I think that it's such a shame that people don't understand what they tried to do because I feel like that at least the TikTok community at large is saying that it looks like sloppy animation. No, this was all done intentionally. It is 3D animation on the characters, and to pay homage to the 100 years of Disney, which is what they are celebrating, they did it on the 2D painted backgrounds. And I think that it just creates such an interesting artistic style. I absolutely love the way it looked. I thought it looked incredible. Um, and what I really love, too, is how, you know, one of the main characters, as far as, like, going back to classic animation the star is such a big part of that movie and that's like one of the first things that animators learn to draw is they do either a bouncing ball or a sack of flour and you have to give it emotion and range and movement um, so I thought that that was also a really 
clever wink and a nod. I agree with you as far as the Easter eggs go, too. A lot of them were really nice, but there was a point where it felt like it was sort of insulting to us as the audience because it's like, we, we got it. You didn't need to spell this out. Um, I like most of the music. Um, I love This Wish. I think that song is beautiful, and I think that that's going to become one of the bigger ones in the canon, especially because it encompasses what the inspiration for this movie was. I love that they took the idea of wishing upon a star, which has been such a common thread in the Disney world, not just with the films, but in the parks as well. And they made it something tangible, something that has currency, that sort of relates to the political climate now. I thought that that was all really well done. Um, but back to the music, my, my original point was, I feel like people latched on to the villain song, or lack thereof, far too much because of a little snippet that they heard on TikTok. And um, they latched onto the lyric of, I let you live here rent-free or whatever it is, and they said that the villain is weak sauce. And I mean, I appreciate the sentiment that you want your baddie villains like the Ursula and the Scar that we grew up on, but without context, you don't understand that King Magnifico's arc is the fall from grace. It's, he's trying to be the good guy and trying to save everything. And the more he tries to save it, the worse it's getting. And he's becoming evil over the course of this movie. So you're not going to have a snappy villain song up front because he's not completely dark at this point. you got to give him a chance to get there. And that was just taken way too far out of context. And this is why... You need to go see movies and form your own opinion. You can't listen to what's on TikTok. You can't even listen to us. Go see for yourself. That's the point of art is for you to go and take it in and form your own opinion of it. Yeah. And I hope that people do once this hits the streamer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, somebody out there, their favorite movie this year was Haunted Mansion, and that's great. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, um, I mean, look, for... It makes me laugh that people complained about the animation style. They're the same people that asked for hand-drawn animation. They got it. They didn't like it. Uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, the, I hate to sound like my father, but this, this Gen Z generation that wanted a modern, uh, contemporary Disney animated film, you got it. You got a modern, contemporary Disney villain. You got a modern, contemporary Disney villain song. And guess what? You didn't like it. Imagine having conversations with all of you, all of the time. Welcome to our side of life. Gen X, we're wonderful. <laughs> we're millennials. Where are you? Well, you you identify more with Gen X just because you're an old soul. You don't sound like your father. You just sound old. That's okay. I'll take it. This is why I can't manage in restaurants anymore. Oh, this is goodness. why. Um... But, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they latched on to something that was dumb in a song that I actually thought was a lot of fun. Um, and I was, I was like, yeah, you did live here, Renfrew. Yeah, Magnifico, I'm with you. Oh um, I was with him. I'm with him. I'm with Magnifico. Um, but, <laughs> okay, let's move on, though, uh, to December. Another surprise. Another surprise. Um, dashing through the snow. All, all I knew was that Ludacris did a Christmas movie, and I said yes. I didn't know anything else about it, but Ludacris made a Christmas movie for Disney, and I said yes. Um, I really enjoyed the hell out of this movie. It was funny. It was fun. It was charming. It was endearing. It was more than I expected it to be, and everything I hoped it was at the same time. Yeah, I, 
I couldn't get over how much I enjoy this. I'll be honest with you, this is like the first time I'm learning the title because if you're familiar with Ludacris' music, I keep thinking this song is called Move, Get Out of Santa's Way. Um, and I'd be fine with that if they had done it. Um, I really like this one. To me, this, it's funny, this resembles the Santa Claus, the original Santa Claus, more than the Santa Claus is. That's, series that's does. true, actually. Um, you know, you do have... but. What I'm about to say is going to make it sound like it's derivative, but it's really not. You do have the child that believes, that's trying to convince the parent who doesn't believe that you should believe, and it's not its not all make-believe. So they play with that idea, but the way that instead of becoming Santa Claus like Tim Allen, the way that Ludacris has to assist Santa Claus... Um, the two actors playing off of each other are brilliant. Ludacris and Lil Ray Howell. 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 Little Rel Howell. Rel Howell. That's it. Um, their chemistry is great, but that's where the biggest spin is, is that it becomes sort of a buddy movie, and they really toe the line of, is this guy who thinks that he's Santa crazy, or is he actually Santa and they keep you guessing and the movie keeps turning on itself about every five minutes so it's it's really great it's really well done and surprise of surprises Kevin Connolly is in it uh, as steampunk Kevin Connolly and I was here for it I love Kevin Connolly I truly do I miss seeing him at Nassau Coliseum that's a, that's an I've told that story before such a nice guy, so approachable. Um, yeah, but it was nice to see him this because since yeah. Entourage, she hasn't done like a ton. But I, I was happy to see that he got some love from Disney. Yeah, and he was go see him in Secretariat. We reviewed it on the show. Yes. Really, really good Disney sports film. Um, all right, so let's let's kind of reflect a little bit on some of what we have seen and spoken about this year, not just the stuff that was new, but maybe also some things that we spoke about, um, uh, you know, on Monorail Radio. What, I mean, I think I know what the answer to this question is. What was your favorite release this year? Okay, so I've been really thinking about how I was going to answer this because there are two that are the front runners, and it's I, very, very obvious. I think you and I, yeah, um, we're on the same page. What tips the scale is one I have rewatched several times and the other I haven't gone back for. The two films that I of course am talking about are Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and The Little Mermaid. I have not watched Guardians since we saw it in theaters and we did see it in theaters twice. Like did love it that much. Um, but I think because it is so sad and it's so bittersweet to know that it's the end. I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it again. We are going to because we're going to review it on, you know, we're going to do a full episode on it very, very soon. But for me, it's Little Mermaid. I said to you when we walked out of this theater, I could not wait until it hit the streamer so that I could just watch it and have it, I hate saying it, have it on in the background because... I like to watch movies. I don't like to do a disservice to them by not giving them my undivided attention, but like what I meant was I couldn't wait for this to become my comfort movie, my Pirates of the Caribbean that I, I just put on. If I'm doing something else but I want something on, I'll have Pirates on because I know it so well already. I couldn't wait for that to turn into the next Pirates, and it has. I have rewatched this, I can't even tell you how many times already. Uh, just love, love, love it. So that is my favorite of the year, Little Mermaid. 
I am going to concur. Little Mermaid. Wow. And I'll tell you why. I really thought you were going to say Guardians. Guardians 3 is great, but it's not as good as Volume 2. So Fair. that, to me, is the yeah. difference. Plus, I had very little expectation going into Little Mermaid because the majority of the live-action remakes more recently have been god-awful. It's so good, though, that it, it just it tipped the scale. And it, it won you over, did. yeah. Um, I mean, Guardians is right there. It's, it's pretty close. Honorable mention, though, to Prom Pact. I'll be honest with you. I, I really, I love Milo Mannheim. I probably, I'm 37 years old. I don't care. I love Milo Mannheim. He's your he's new in, Zac Efron. He's incredible. But I had Efron pegged, though. I had him pegged from the start. You did. From from uh, 17 again. Yes. With, that was uh, the, with, with Matthew Perry. Oh, so good. That Such was when I knew. Movie. That was when I knew he was going to be big. Man, Milo Mannheim, though? He, he's going to make a run. Okay, he's well, going to make a run. You soon. heard it here first. <laughs> um, what about what was maybe what was your top pick for an episode that we did this year of Monorail Radio, or maybe something that we've discovered? Because you know we did deep dive a lot this past year. Um, was there something that that we deep dive that you found that kind of stood out to you as being a special? Film. I mean, well, there were a couple of memorable episodes that we did. Like, I loved our review of the Captain America trilogy. I had so much fun with Christina and Ricardo and discussing the films with them when they when they came on. Um, so that was a really fun rewatch, and those were some really fun discussions that we had. Probably my favorite episode less about a movie but my favorite episode that we did this year was when we did the billboard top 100 with joe and tyler just because yeah. we had so much fun i was so excited to first of all be able to introduce our listeners to two people we talk about constantly on the show um but also introduce my best friend to the world and share him with everyone and to have tyler on Tyler is one of those people that I just learn something from him every time I see him. Yeah. Uh, so just really interesting um, information he was able to give us about composition and and th- th- just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the composers. My God. Uh, so that was definitely a standout for me. But as far as a film goes, that was a big surprise. From Pact is definitely one of them. But for me, I think my favorite discovery of this year was Phantom of the Multiplex. You know, I enjoyed I, it, I knew it so much. And I, Mickey Rooney, need I say more? Phantom of the Multiplex uh, absolutely was a great find. My favorite episode this year, maybe I'm a little biased because I'm getting ready for Dopey. Um, I, I really enjoyed our Dockside chat from January of last year um, because I got to talk about running my first full marathon and doing my first marathon weekend uh, at Walt Disney World. And so that's just been such a thing on my mind for so long. And I've been training for Dopey. And if you follow us on TikTok, you've seen me posting the running videos. So I'm just Dopey, Dopey, Dopey right now. Well, I'm Dopey all of the time, but now I have an excuse to say I'm Dopey. Can confirm. Um, No, but that was a huge deal for you. So I can see where that's a standout episode in your mind. Absolutely. And I think best discovery this year for me was Lion King one and a half 
I didn't oh. think I didn't think I'd ever find a straight to VHS oh. film that I loved as much as Return of Jafar, and I still love Return of Jafar. But Lion King one and a half was hysterical. It was special. It was the movie I didn't know that I needed. That MST3K humor was brilliant. Oh wow! I w- no, and I looked through everything before we sat down. Uh, I, I must have skipped right over. I, I guess I lumped that entire series in my mind of doing all the sequels. Right. Um, I have to give an honorable mention to Zombies, though, because it was recommended oh. to us for so long. Yeah. And I said it when we reviewed it. Holy cow, a musical decom that I didn't completely trash. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. Phantom of the Multiplex was just, mm, that, that is just catnip for me. We want to know what you have to say about any of the films that were released this year. How did you feel about them? What were some of your favorites? You can let us know on X, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year. Have a safe and happy New Year. Don't forget to follow us on that social media. We are also on Threads and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. Um, And... uh, you know, be sure to like, subscribe, and rate us on uh, on your podcast platform of choice. And if you have any thoughts on the films that we just discussed, please do write in and let us know because we are going to be doing in-depth reviews on uh, 2023's releases. We're going to spend the entire month of January doing that. Uh, so we want to hear your thoughts, and you know, maybe we'll read an email on the show. All right. Well, thank you all so much again for joining us here. Go out and get yourself a donut. I kind of want another one. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.